Well, God bless you guys. Hey, I'm blessed to be here tonight. Uh, if you don't know who I am, it doesn't matter. I'm irrelevant. Uh, pay for, pay, pray for Pastor Rob. He is in Uganda right now. Zach, our junior high guy, is there as well. Uh, so be praying for them as God uses them over there. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 tonight. Get your Bibles out. Open them up. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. You're going to need one. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen? amen. I need an amen or two. I'm going to think you're napping. Amen? amen? Okay, that's better. I haven't been gone that long. All right? All right. Get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 7. All right. Well, if you, need, you still need one, keep your hand up. I'll go get some more. But let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God, and we are so incredibly privileged to know you in an intimate and a personal way. Lord, we pray as we go to your word tonight that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that this would not be the opinions of man, but the word of God. Lord, I pray for everybody who's here tonight. Everybody's here, not by chance, but by divine appointment. And Lord, because of that, we know that God's word is always right on time. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Be with our pastor as he's in Uganda. Be with Zach and all those traveling with them. Lord, bring them home safe. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 7. We're going to pick up in verse 13. One thing I did want to say briefly is uh, most of you guys know I fellowship here, I still do, on Sunday mornings uh, for the last couple of years. I was a pastor in Santa Cruz for 10 years before that, and we have just recently planted a Calvary Chapel in Calabasas about three months ago. And so I just appreciate if you keep that in prayer. And I just want you to know that this church has been an incredible oasis for my family the last two years. With all the trials and difficulties we've gone through, I can't tell you how loved we've been and how much we just appreciate you. And so thankful because any fruit that happens at Calvary Chapel Calabasas is going to be fruit of this ministry here. Amen? All right. So let's, uh, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, the, is, the, is Jesus is preaching. He calls his disciples unto himself. He sits down, which is how the how the teacher taught in those days. The people were standing around him. If you've been to Israel, you've been to where the Sermon on the Mount takes place. It's like a natural amphitheater. And Jesus begins to teach what it really means to be a follower of his. What does a, a, a godly person look like? What does somebody who's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven look like? I'm going to just, in about two minutes, give you an overview up to verse 13 of the things he's been talking about. And I want to hope it whets your appetite to go back and read chapters 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached because Jesus Christ preached it. Amen? So it began with the Beatitudes. These are the Beatitudes, the attitudes that should be in your life if you're a born-again Christian. And he starts off with being poor in spirit, because until we recognize we're sinners, that we're, until we come to a place of brokenness, We'll see no need for a savior. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, mourning over our sin. Once we mourn over our sin, it says we are then comforted. The Holy Spirit comes and comforts us. So as we go through the Beatitudes, he tells us the attitudes that ought to be present in our life, and we see the picture of salvation. From there, he says that God has called us to be, he's called us to be salt and light. Guys, this is a tasteless and a dark world. Amen? And you know what it needs? It needs salt and light. Amen? It needs to be made tasty. We need to make them thirsty for the things of God because we're so salty for him, amen? And we need to be light to a lost and a dying world. He then says that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
The scribes and the Pharisees were the people who thought they were so holy they were going to get into heaven by their good works. By the way, I don't want to burst your bubble. You're not getting into heaven because you're good. Amen? You're not getting into heaven because you're good because you're not good, neither am I. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so Jesus came because we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And he says to the crowd, and no doubt some Pharisees were there, unless you're more holy than these guys, the people that everybody thought was super holy, you're not getting into heaven. That's overwhelming. But what it does is it makes us recognize we can't do it on our own. We need a Savior. He then goes on to say that murder and adultery begin in the heart. Here's the reality. 99% of all of our sin begins in our heart. Amen? You know, I've never murdered anybody. You ever had hatred? That's what Jesus says. If you've had hatred, you're a murderer. If you've lusted in your heart, you're an adulterer. So he's letting them very clearly know that we're all sinners. He goes on to talk about the sanctity of marriage. After that, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If anybody needs to be a man or a woman of their word, it ought to be born again Christians. Amen? We shouldn't have to swear to it. We ought to live by it. If we say we're going to do it, we ought to do it, even if it's to our own harm. He then tells us to turn the other cheek. We're not to be like the world. We don't, re- we don't seek revenge. We turn the other cheek that God might be glorified. Then he says, do not do your deeds before men, but do them before God. When you do something good, do it so that God sees you. He then says to love your enemies. The world loves their friends. If you just love your friends, you're being like the world. God tells us to love our enemies. Then he taught them how to pray. Then he told them when they fast to only be seen by God. Then he told them to lay up their treasures in heaven. Then he told them you can't serve God in money. Then not to worry. Then to seek first the kingdom of God. And then to judge others the way you want to be judged. Then not to cast your pearls before swine. Then to keep asking and seeking and knocking. And then finally he said, whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them. Now that brings us to verse 13. He's taught all that. And now he's going to say, you need to make a decision. Because guys, we can read the Bible, we can study the Bible, we can know the Bible, but we need to put feet to our faith or it's not faith. Amen? God's called us to not be pew potatoes. People are coming out of the closet for all kinds of other stuff. It's time for us to come out of the closet for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's time for us to be unashamed of him. And so he's going to call us in the rest of this chapter, and you're going to see this tonight, and I'm telling you right now, hold on to your hats, because this is Jesus speaking, and he's going to tell us, choose today whom you're going to serve. Make a choice. And everybody here is making a choice. No decision is a decision when it comes to Almighty God. Amen? And that's a decision against him. So by way of overview, I titled the message, Choose Today Whom You You Will Serve. First, we're going to see two ways of life. You're either on the broad road, or you're on the narrow road, and there's no road in between. Secondly, we're going to see two different trees. They bear different kinds of fruit. They either bear bad fruit, no fruit, or they bear good fruit. And again, if you're a Christian, you will be bearing good fruit, and by your fruit they shall know you. Then we will see two things that Jesus will say. Everybody in here, you're going to hear one of two things when you stand before Jesus Christ one day. Enter in my good and faithful servant, Or depart from me, for I do not know you. Let me tell you right now, that's the only test you want to pass. Amen? That's the only one you ought to be worried about. You ought to live every day in light of the fact that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and you're going to hear one of those two sentences. Amen? It ought to be heavy on your heart, and we ought to be living in anticipation of that. Number four, we're going to see two houses. One built upon the rock, Jesus Christ, and one built upon the sand, the things of this world. 
You know what? Houses can look exactly the same from the outside, but what really matters is what is the foundation that they're built upon. You may look really good to the world, but if your foundation is not Jesus Christ, when the storm comes, you're going to come crashing down. And then finally, we're going to see not only two ways of life and two trees and two things that Jesus will say in two houses, but we're going to see they're all spoken from one authority. Because Jesus Christ spoke like no man ever did. You know what? He taught like he wrote it. Because he did. Amen? He taught like he created it. Because he did. He spoke like he's God because he is. Amen? And so we're going to finish up looking and seeing that Jesus Christ alone is the authority. So let's begin there. Looking at two ways of life. Two ways of life. Guys, we're going to look at the broad road and the narrow road. And the broad road, if you're going to be on the broad road, you're going to be just like the world, doing everything the world does. And if you're going to be on the narrow road, you're going to have to leave the crowd behind. You're going to have to walk away from the world, walk away from the crowd, and go in another direction. Let's read verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Now, the gate is not the destination. It's the beginning of the path for the rest of your life. It's which direction are you headed? Are you headed to the Lord, toward the Lord, doing things for the Lord? Or are you headed toward the path of destruction, walking away from the things of God, living in exact opposite outside of his will? You're on one of those two roads already. Here's the good news. If you're on the broad road, it's not too late to get on the narrow road. Amen? It's not too late to leave that behind. And there's a temptation to go that way. Now, in those days, nearly every town, every city had of any size had a Walls that went all the way around it. And right in front of the main gate was a huge gate, a huge path, a broad way in, where everybody would travel. And that's where everybody would go in. But in those cities, virtually all of them, in the very corner of the wall, they would have what they called the wicket gate. The wicket, not the wicked gate, the wicket gate. And it was actually a door inside of a door that was stuck in the very corner And you know what? If you wanted to go in that way, you had to go find it. You had to leave the broad road and everyone else behind. And when you got there, it was usually shut and locked and you had to knock on the door so somebody would open it up and let you in. Now guys, God has made the narrow way available to all of us. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But he is not going to drag you off the broad road and stick you through that door. The Bible, we need to seek after him. Amen? He draws us unto himself. We respond. And we go find that door and we knock on the door. And you know what? Here's the good news. The Lord will answer every single time. He never closes. Guys, we're not knocking on a wall. We're knocking on a door. Amen. And when we knock, he opens and he ushers us in. The narrow gate was also called the straight gate. And I love that. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the father, but by me. You know what that means? You can't get to heaven through Buddha. Amen? Amen. Uh, first of all, we're made in the image of God. I'm glad he's not, well, I'm, I'm looking more like Buddha, but I don't want to be Buddha. Amen? <laughs> I want to walk in the image of my Savior. Hare Krishna can't get you into heaven. Joseph Smith of the Mormon church can't get you into heaven. Charles Taze Russell, 
uh, Mary Baker Eddy. I mean, all the false teachers that are out there, all the false gods in the world. They got 30 million Hindu gods and not one of them will get you into heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way. Man, that sounds narrow. Aren't you glad that God's word is narrow? The world today hates the word narrow. Dude, you're narrow. Thank you. That's what I often, dude, you're so narrow. You're so black and white. Yes, I am. Amen. You see any gray letters in here? It's black and white and red. Amen. It's Jesus Christ. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And that way is very narrow. And nobody's going to get into heaven any other way. And guys, we need to quit being apologizing for that. Amen. People get upset because they go, well, that just doesn't move with my, my consciousness today. I just think we're all on a path. And as long as we're all seeking something, that is, you know, I, I'm not supposed to use this word. It's stupid. Amen? Well, as long as I'm seeking something. Let me say this. And then they get mad at God because it says in this text that many are on the road to destruction. Many. That word many actually means mostly. So you know what that means? Most people are going to hell. I came for a Wednesday night Bible study. I didn't know I was getting this. But here's the thing. Most people are going to hell. Now, does that bring any joy to my life? Absolutely not. You know what? Our, our Savior desires that none would perish, no, not one. So the fact that many are going to hell is not God's fault. It's man's fault. Amen? The reason the world's in the mess it's in. People say, that. where's God? It's not what God created this place perfect. We messed it up. Amen? And the broad, the broad road is traveled by most people because they choose to reject the free gift of grace that God holds out to all of us. To me, it's like saying, look, we're all in a burning building. Somebody comes walking in right now and says, there's only one way out. And it's Jesus Christ. He opens the door and says, this building's on fire. I built it perfect. You guys torched it. You destroyed it. You ruined it with your behavior. But because I love you, I'm going to open a door right here. Everybody who wants to come, come follow me out. And then most people go, oh, that's narrow. It's only one way out. I don't like that. I think I'll climb out this way. You know, that's not going to work for you. Amen. You're going to burn up. This is what happens when, they, when you're not the senior pastor of the church. You just bring it. Amen. What are you going to do? You have to, Rob will have to apologize next week, all right? But this is offensive to the modern way of thinking. And you know what? The Bible says the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. It's a rock of offense. It offends people. People should never be offended by our personality, but they need to be offended by God's word. Amen? People are angry with God when they ought to be brokenhearted over their own sinful behavior. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. He's the one who leads us into a place where we can be delivered from our sin. Verse 14 again says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Jesus is the door. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he's the door. He's the way. He's the gate. He's the answer. He's our hope. He's the one. He's our redeemer. He's God. He's our savior. He's our king. Guys, we ought to be excited about that. Amen. And praise God that there aren't 50 people to choose from and 10 of them are right. I'm glad that he's the only way, he's the only truth, and he's the only life. Narrow is the road that leads to salvation. Every other way is destructive. But Pastor Dave, don't some people do some things that are good? I know people that are good. It all depends on how we define good. If we define good based on 
Our, our behavior, other humans' behavior, maybe so. But guys, Jesus Christ is the definition of good. We all have to be compared to him, and we all fall short. Now notice it does say this, that when we follow him, that difficult is the way. Doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. Let me say that one more time. Doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. Since most people are on the broad road, most will not agree with you if you're on the narrow road. Most are going to say you've lost your mind. You're being a bigot. You're arrogant. You're self-righteous. You're, what, you've lost your mind. Dude, it's the 21st century. Grow up. Get with the crowd, man. Don't you read your science books? I mean, I've heard all of it. But here's the reality. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They keep changing their mind every single day. We don't have to ever change anything. We just follow the truth. Amen? And so we see here that it is difficult to follow him. People are going to be angry with you. You may even be persecuted for your faith. Let me say this. If the, if the world agrees with you most of the time, you are headed in the wrong direction. Amen? Amen? If you're never persecuted for your faith, if no one ever says anything about your faith, if no one's ever angry with you because of your faith, you need to live it out loud. Amen? You're an undercover Christian. If you want another day at work and nobody knows you're saved still, that's not a good thing. Amen? We need to be salt and light, be unashamed. We need to be salt and light of our, our school campuses. And guys, I'm going to Calabasas. Calabasas needs Jesus just like the rest of the world. Amen? Most of them think they've got enough money that they'll never need Jesus. Guess what? Money fades. But Jesus Christ endures. You plus God equals the majority. If you're on God's side, it doesn't matter if everyone else disagrees with you, if you agree with God. And let me just, just remember this as we're thinking, as we finish up on the, the narrow way, any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? Any dead fish can just be with everyone else and do what everybody else is doing and just go with the flow. And that's called the broad road. And we don't want to go in that direction. Guys, we're swimming upstream. We're living contrary to the world. We love the people in the world. We minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Our culture is more concerned with making people on the broad road feel comfortable and accepted on their way to hell. That's what the world wants to do. You've seen these stickers, right? Uh, tolerance and things like that. They're tolerant of everything except the truth. And they persecute us for standing for it. And guys, it's not loving if you see a busload full of children driving off a cliff to wave at them and go, well, that's your path. God bless you. Have fun. That's not loving, is it? You know what a loving person does? Jumps up and punches out the bus driver if necessary to stop it. Amen. We reach out, we love people enough that we're not worried about how popular we are before men. We want to see people go to heaven with us. Guys, the only thing you're taking to heaven with you is people. The rest of the stuff is chaff. It's not going to matter. It won't uh, add anything to your life. The Bible says, proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. You be narrow about Jesus. You be narrow about the truth. You know what? Two plus two is four. Amen? Well, you know, my world, it could be five and a half if you look at it. Stop it! If you, if you add billions of years and you have lightning hit a puddle and go from the goo to the zoo to you, then maybe it's four and a half. No, it's not. It's four. Amen? But too often, we, wanna, we fall into the trap of listening to the world. And you young people over here, your faith's going to be attacked by every teacher you've got if you don't go to a Christian school. And you know what? You need to know what you believe and why you believe it so you don't buy the lie. Amen? 
So let's be on the narrow path. Let's follow after the truth. Let's not follow down the broad road. By the way, the world wants us to be open-minded. They say you're either narrow-minded or you're open-minded. Doesn't open-minded sound better? I'm so open. I'm open. What happens when you have an open marriage? How's that working out? That's where you take definite truth and you just let everyone define it in their own way. You can't, it's stupid. It doesn't work. You know what? I'm glad I'm narrow. I'm glad the path is narrow. I'm glad that my Savior has opened my eyes to the truth. You know what? Here's the reality though. I should never be self-righteous about that. I should never be arrogant about that because I'm one sinner leading another sinner, another beggar to the bread. Amen? I'm a beggar myself. I've been saved by his grace. And I just want to point people to the truth. And I'm more concerned about someone's eternity than being popular with the world. And that's what God has called us to be. Live and let live. That's live and let burn, right? Isn't that what it really should say? Live and let burn, man. It's all good. No, I'm going to love people enough to not live and let live. I'm going to love people enough, I hope, by God's grace, to reach out to them and point them to the fact that Jesus is the way. So narrow is the gate and narrow is the way. So let me ask you a question before we move on to point number two. Did your profession of faith in Jesus Christ cost you anything? It should. Amen? Because you're going to have to leave some things behind. If you got saved and nothing changed, I'm worried about you. Amen? If you didn't lose a few friends, and again, we ought to love them. They should, we shouldn't lose them because we're self-righteous and arrogant. But if they leave because we start following God, that's, a, that's proof that God has gotten a hold of our lives. Here's the truth. You can't be on the broad road and the narrow road at the same time. Pick one. Choose today whom you're going to serve. You're going to go down the narrow path and follow after Jesus with your whole heart? You're going to try to keep one foot on the broad road and one foot? All that does is give you the splits and it hurts. Amen? You can't do it. Choose which road you want to go down. Choose today whom you're going to serve. So we've seen the two ways of life. Have you left the crowd to follow Jesus? Now we're going to look at the two trees. By your fruit, they shall know you. Look what it says there in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. When you were born again, you became a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation in Christ, the Bible says that everything you used to be died and you were resurrected in him. Old things passed away, all things became new. And you know what? Before we knew Christ, we bore bad fruit or no fruit. But when we came to know Christ, we bear good fruit. And when we bear good fruit, it's, it's a natural outpouring of a transformed life. You know, an apple tree does not have to stress to, to produce an apple. I've never passed by an apple tree and heard it screaming. Have you? Ah, like trying to produce apples, right? An apple tree just produces apples because it's an apple tree. And you know what? As Christians, we produce good fruit simply because we're filled with the spirit of the living God. Amen? It's a natural outpouring of who we are. We don't bear good fruit so we can be saved. We bear good fruit because we've been saved. Because we're new creations in Christ, we're filled with the spirit of the living God, that's a natural outpouring. Now, the world says, don't be judging me. You ever hear that? 
And you know, the only verse unbelievers seem to know. Have you ever noticed that? Don't your Bible say somewhere, judge not, lest ye be judged? Don't be judging me, man. You ever heard that? I've heard that so many times it makes me sick. That's taking a text out of context, all you got left is a con, right? Amen? So they're not, it's not the, that's not the word of God says, but we can see very clearly here that God does tell us to be fruit inspectors. Amen? By your fruit, they shall know you. You can say you're a Christian, but if there's no Christ-likeness coming out of you, we have to wonder. Now, where does he begin examining fruit? With people who teach. Because look what he says here, and these are a verse that people, these words right here, people need to underline their Bible. It says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Sadly, these are one of the warnings that very few Christians today have taken to heart. You know why he says beware of false prophets? Because there are false prophets. Amen? And too often we think if he's got a Bible and he's on television or he's in a building down the street from my house and the people there look pretty nice, as long as he's opening the Bible, he must be speaking for God. And here's the reality. Many, if not most, to open up their Bibles and say they're speaking for God are not. Watch Christian television sometime. Amen? They open up the Bible and they preach a man-centered gospel. They promote themselves. They don't promote the Lord. How can you know the difference? We'll give some items in a moment. But how can you know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? By knowing what the word of God says. There's a reason we hand out Bibles when you come in here to make sure I'm not up here making this up. Amen? You want to make sure this is God's word, not Dave's word. And by the way, if you walk into a ministry and you see the worldwide ministry of with someone's name behind it, just run out of the building like it's on fire. Amen? Because there's room for one celebrity in Christianity and his name is Jesus Christ. No man. Men die. God be glorified. Less of us, more of him. Jesus said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. So the best man who ever lived, according to Jesus Christ, said there's got to be less of me and more of him. If that's true of him, it's absolutely true of all of us. Amen? So he says, beware of false prophets. It says there, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. That means they look like sheep, but inside they're, they're the enemy of sheep. They look like they're speaking for God, but on the inside, what they really are are those who are the enemies of God. You know what Satan does? Satan does not show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and say, hi, I'm the devil here to deceive you. He appears as an angel of light. Amen? And a lot of these guys, they open up the Bible and, and, and even maybe 20, 30, 40, 50% of what they say is accurate. But guys, half a truth is a whole lie. Amen? And if somebody gets up here and starts perverting this word just a little bit, we've got problems. He's a false prophet. And today we're too worried about, now how do you find out who the false prophets are? Do you go up and pull the sheepskin off and see if it's a wolf underneath? Kind of hard to do that, right? Let me tell you how you do it. It says in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. So how do we recognize a false prophet? First of all, how do we guard from false teaching, by taking heed to their fruit. So here's some areas of life I want you to just think about real quick. How do they live? How do they live? I think it's a fair point. How do they live? Anybody living in a $50 million house, flying around in a jet, wearing a $50,000 suit, false prophet. 
Pastor Dave, that's judgmental. No, I think that's biblical. Because let me ask you a question. When I look at those people, I always think, would Jesus live that way? Jesus had no place to lay his head. Amen? When he rode into Jerusalem, he was on a donkey. He wasn't driving a Rolls Royce. Amen? He was on the back of a donkey. He came in humility. He came in brokenness. And he's God. If anybody can promote themselves, it's Jesus. Amen? And yet he was humble and he was broken. And when I look at these people who promote themselves and the ministries about themselves and they praise themselves and they magnify their name and the way that they live and the way that they talk, that's a false prophet. Amen? Second thing we see is the content of their teaching. I've heard some things on Christian television. I've, man, I'm like, God, you are showing me the depths of your grace by not smoking this guy right now. I've heard people say some of the most outlandish things from behind pulpits. I'm like, you've got to be. My wife one time, I woke her up one time early in the morning. I was watching and the guy was talking and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me that loud. What's going ah. She's why do you watch that channel? You get angry. You know, I get angry. Because people proclaim to be preaching the truth of God's word and they're proclaiming lies. Look at the content of their teaching, amen? The word of God. And then look at the effect of their teaching. Let me ask you a question. I look to see the followers of some teachers and what kind of fruit is in their life. You know one of the greatest compliments I can give one of my best friends on the planet, Rob McCoy, is the fruit that I see coming out of this church. This is a fruitful church. This is a loving church. This is a generous church. This is a gracious church. Now that's all to God's glory and God gets all the glory. But you know what? Those are attributes that I see in our pastor. Amen? And the the truth is, we're healthy sheep because we're fed well. My uncle goes to a church, a very big church with a very well-known pastor. He's been going there 15 years. And my uncle is not saved by any stretch. He still doesn't know the word of God. I don't think he clearly understands the gospel, and he's gone to church every week just about for 15 years. You know what that tells me? That pastor's not doing his job. Amen? He's drawing a crowd, but he's not making disciples. So look at the manner in which they live. Look at the content of their teaching, and then the effect of their teaching. And then verse 17 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So how do you know that you're a good tree. What kind of tree are you? By your fruit, they shall know you. What's a good place to start looking for fruit in your own life? By the way, if we're going to inspect the fruit, we should inspect our own first. Amen? Let's look in the mirror first. That's a good place to start. If you don't know these verses by heart, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. So if you are grafted into Jesus, he's the vine, you will bear fruit. The evidence that you are a good tree, you are a, you are a Christian, you've been born again, is the fact that you bear good fruit. And then it also tells us in 2 Peter, but the, there are false prophets among you, even these false teachers who teach destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who 
bought them. There are people today who proclaim to be teaching the gospel who reject the deity of Jesus Christ. Guys, if Jesus Christ isn't God, we're toast. Amen? There are people who reject the resurrection. False teacher. What if everything else they taught was accurate and they taught there's no resurrection? False teacher. Because if Jesus is not risen, we're not saved. Amen? People who teach, there's so many false doctrines that are out there. Guys, we need to know the word. And guys, we need to bear fruit and watch for those who are bearing the wrong fruit. People of the world will exploit people for money and use the name of Jesus to get it. Those who follow them will never experience a changed life. The only fruit that lasts is a transformed life from the inside out. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. Now, let's think think about this. I'm not bearing good fruit. Is that a big deal? Does that matter? Let's read the rest of this verse. It's cut down and thrown into the fire. Who's speaking here? Jesus. What did Jesus just say? If there's no fruit, cut it down and throw it into the fire. Man, that's awful narrow. Boy, that seems judgmental. No, it's biblical that Jesus Christ desires that none should perish, no, not one. He offers you the free gift of salvation. If you reject it, you're going to live a fruitless life. If you live a fruitless life because you have rejected him as Savior, you will spend eternity separated from him. That's the truth, amen? Here's the good news. You accept him as Savior, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to. Now notice what it does say. It says, it doesn't say those who bear bad fruit shall be cut down and thrown into the fire. It says those who do not bear good fruit. So if you bear bad fruit or you bear no fruit, guys, by, the, by our fruit they shall know us. We ought to be the most loving, gracious people on the planet. Amen? Can I tell you something? Pet peeve, Pastor Dave, pet peeve. I'm so tired of seeing people who say they're born-again Christians walking around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. Amen? You meet Christians. How you doing, bro? Uh, This happened. I have my socks. Really, dude? You going to heaven? Yeah, not today, though. Right? Why in the world would anybody want to know the God that that person serves? Amen? Yeah, I got the joy of the Lord, man. It's awesome, man. You need to come know the God I serve. It's really sweet. Yeah, but life sucks right now. I mean, that's weak. Can I tell you something? Nobody is happier than me. Now, you can be as happy as me, amen? Because we all have Jesus Christ in common, Amen? And that joy is not based on our circumstances. That's how the world is. Their happiness goes up and down based on day to day. Health's good, money in the bank, I'm happy. Health goes bad, lose a little money, I'm unhappy. And their lives are like this. As Christians, we ought to be like this. On July 27th, when we have the baptism, you know, we're going to be joining you guys for the baptism. My formerly Muslim boss who I loved on for four or five years before she would finally listen to what I had, you know, listen to my heart. I led her to the Lord about a year and a half ago. She's coming all the way down here so I can baptize her on July 27th. And I want you guys to be, her name's Jehan Jehansus from Iran, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ, amen? Grew up in a Muslim family. But here, the only reason I'm bringing her up is we were going through some turmoil in our office. 
And I've been witnessing to her and loving on her and she would mock my faith and she wanted a born right the first time t-shirt to mock me and I'd be teaching a Bible study and any leprechauns in here and any, you know, I believe in everything that's unreal, you know, and stuff like that. And you know what's awesome though? Is we were going through a tough time and she came to me one day and she sat down at my desk and she said, you know what? I was thinking about this. The company's in turmoil. We don't know if we're going to have jobs. And I thought, who are the people in the office who still have joy? And she goes, you know what? It's the four Christians. And I went, praise God, amen? Because she said, you know, there there must be something to this God you serve because everybody else is about ready to jump out a window and you guys are walking around singing praise songs. What's up with that? Guys, we ought to have joy, amen? We ought to be bearing good fruit. And then it says there in verse 20, therefore, by your fruits you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. If someone says, I'm a Christian, and they don't bear any fruit, we have to wonder. Again, it's not my job to judge someone into condemnation. Leave that to the Lord. But if I don't see fruit, I need to love somebody enough to reach out to them in love. Amen? So you know what? I'm concerned. You tell me you're a Christian. You tell me I'm going to church. You tell me you love God. You never have any joy. There's no real love. There's no real peace in your life. Your life is not filled with self-control. It's out of control. It's kind of a mess. Can I tell you, I'm concerned about you and I love you. Can I tell you about our Savior one more time? Can we talk again? Let's point him back to Jesus. Choose today whom you will serve. We saw the two ways of life. Have you left the crowd to follow Jesus or in the broad path, the narrow path? We saw the two trees. By your fruit, they will know you. Is your life bearing fruit today? Number three, two things Jesus will say. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Guys, here's the truth. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It matters what God says. Amen? If the whole world is against, if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Amen? And here's the reality. We're too often worried. Why are you so bummed? My boss is a jerk. He's kind of rough on me. Okay, I get it. That's tough. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. Is God still in control? Is God still God? Does he still love you? You still going to heaven? Amen. Did God know you were going to have that boss? Then be salt and light to that guy. Amen. I, that's a lot easier to say than it is to do. I know that. Okay. But that being said, I'm encouraging you that God has called us to be different than the world. Let's not worry about what men say. Let's not put too much weight in what people think. Look at people's opinions. All they care about are like eight people. If you go through the grocery store line, you'll see it. And there are eight people with no talent, no jobs, and no nothing, but everybody cares. I don't get it. Amen? We ought to care about them to pray for them that they might be saved. And I think six of them live in Calabasas, so we can pray for them. Amen? But the reality is that too often we're worried about being popular with men. We ought to be only focused on being faithful before God. So he says, many who say, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. I've done a couple hundred funerals. I've yet to have anybody tell me when I'm doing the funeral for their family member that the person didn't know God. Everybody thinks on the day, and I get it. There's a hope there, and I totally get it. But they'll always claim back, oh, I remember when he was five and a half, he went to VBS and he came home and said he believed in God. And then the next 80 years, he lived like the devil. Right? But we want to hold on to something. And here's the reality. Just because you say you believe in God, the demons believe and tremble. 
Amen? It's not calling out his name. It's not thinking that you might know him. It's not even doing things in his name will get you into heaven. I've used this analogy here before. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I know that he played basketball. He won six NBA titles. He went to North Carolina. He played for the Bulls. He tried to play for the Wizards when he was too old. He, he played baseball for a minute. He was no good at it. You know, he's a very popular guy. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I get in an elevator with Michael Jordan. He has no idea who I am. Because I know about him, but I don't know him. There's a lot of people who know about Jesus Christ. They can tell you, where, you know, he was born of a virgin and, you know, he lived a sinless, perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he's coming back and, you know, he's got the best-selling book in all of human history and they can tell you a lot of things about him. But here's the reality, guys, it's not enough to know about Jesus. Do you know him? Is he your best friend? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? And so he says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord Lord, true belief is reflected not just in our words, but in our behavior. Real Christian faith is not an empty religion filled with empty rituals and insincere words. You can pray prayers, you can keep rituals, you can follow every religious symbol, do everything you think you're supposed to do. I did this and this and this. Guys, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. Jesus Christ must be our best friend. When you're in a relationship with him, it produces intimate fellowship, and that fellowship produces a heart to obey his word. He says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The word Lord there means supreme authority, one who is in control, God, Lord, Master, Savior. He's, that's who he is. And if we have him in that position in our lives, all we want to do is serve him. If he's Lord, that makes me servant. Amen? If he's my savior, then I'm the one that's been saved and redeemed by him. He's the one. It's all him. I did nothing. I need him. I'm desperate for him. And because I am, I want to obey him. Because guess what, guys? No matter how smart you think you are, God is way smarter than you. Amen? So doesn't it make sense for us when he tells us to do something to just obey? Amen? God says, oh yeah, okay, God, you know, I'm not, you're God, I'm not. Amen? Let's obey him. Let's follow him. People who know the right words to say, but don't truly know Jesus will not get into heaven. You can fool people with religious language. Doesn't, you know, you can be at church not very long and you can get all the, all the Christian lingo down, can't you? What's up, bro? <laughs> By the way, that's code for, I forgot your name, bro. <laughs> Is that true or not? But you can get all the Christian lingo down and you can say the right things. And you, know, and you could have been screaming and yelling at your wife all the way here. Get out of the car. Hey, bro, just rejoicing in the Lord. God bless you, my brother. <laughs> and we can have all the words down, but we don't really have a relationship necessarily, Right? And he's saying, not everybody who has their religious words is going to heaven, but those who have a heart to obey me. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is obedience. The highest form of worshiping God is saying, Lord, I'm going to obey you. And guys, it's only obedience. It's only fully obedience when you don't always agree with it. Amen? If you only obey when you agree, you're not obeying. You're just doing what you want. It's when God tells you to do something, go, I don't like that. 
Go witness to my Muslim boss? Really? She's mean. Obey. Yes, Lord. Amen? That's obedience. Then it says in verse 21, 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cut, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? We preached the word. We performed miracles. We did all these wonders that people on the outside were giving us money for. We waved coats over people in your name. We blew on people in your name. That's Benny Hinn if you're wondering, okay? There's people who do things in his name, right? They're performing all these rituals in his name, but they don't know him. We prophesied. Guys, he alone is the one who is to be called Lord. He makes it clear. And I love this. Look at verse 22. Don't miss this. He says, many will say to, what does it say? What's the word? Me. Many will say to me in that day. Who's speaking? So who's going to judge all of mankind? Jesus Christ. It doesn't say many will say to Buddha in that day. Amen. Many will say to Barack Obama in that day. Thank you, Jesus. Many will say, just whoever you want to worship, many will say to, you know, the Kardashians in that day. You know, we have all these people that we want to honor and lift up and magnify. Guys, the only one who's going to judge your life is Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you don't think Jesus ever claims to be God, first of all, you're not reading the Bible. But that verse right there, he says, he's claiming to be God because he says, I will judge all of mankind. Amen? That's the only one you need to be worried about. What have I done before the Lord? He created you. He loves you. He took your place and was executed on your behalf. He alone will stand in judgment of me and you. And he says there, we've cast out demons. We've done all these wonderful things. We taught in your name. We cast out demons in your name. You know what? Here's the truth. There are people who've done things in Jesus' name, I believe, that weren't saved and God still showed up because the name of Jesus is powerful. Amen? And even some who don't know him have used his name and I believe God has done things because his name is powerful so that he might be glorified. Amen? So just because we see something like that happening, guess what? God is the one who is glorified, not the one who laid on the hands. Amen? It's Jesus Christ alone who should be glorified. Jesus doesn't even say you haven't done these things. Look what he says there in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, we prophesy in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we've done wonders in your name. I will declare to them, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is going to look him in the eye and say, I don't know you. Guys, can I tell you that ought to grip you. Amen? Can you imagine standing before Jesus? He looks you in the eye and says, and who are you? Here's the good news. If you've surrendered your life to him, when you stand before him on judgment day, we stand before God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son is going to step forward and say, it's okay, he's with me. Amen? I'm with Jesus. You know why I get to go to heaven? I'm with him. But most are going to come and he's going to say, I don't know you. So guys, you're going to hear one of two things on judgment day. I don't know you. Depart from me. 
And notice he says, I never knew you. So these are not people that were serving God and worshiping God and all of a sudden fell away from God. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. He never knew them. So they were doing miraculous things and they never knew God because they were doing it with the wrong motive, with the wrong heart, all to bring praise and glory to themselves and to make themselves rich. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun, amen? The same thing is still happening today. You know, the Bible says a wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign. Don't be caught up chasing signs. Amen? You know, Jesus would perform miracles. The crowd would come. He preached the gospel. Most of them would leave. It's true. And again, does God perform miracles today? What's the answer? Absolutely. Does he heal people? Without question. Do we, should we come to him first with every problem in our lives? Absolutely. But guys, let's not just seek after a sign. Let's seek after the truth of God's word. Because you know what? The demons, the devil performed signs. When Moses went before Pharaoh, didn't Pharaoh's magicians match some of the things that he did? They matched them perfectly. So if all you watched were the signs, you could have been duped. Don't just watch the signs. Seek the Savior. He's the one. He's the answer. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Judas ever preached a message? What do you think? I think he did. You think he may have ever been used by God to heal somebody? I think probably. Balaam was a prophet. Remember? Not, he, he was a prophet for sale, wasn't he? Remember? Come and, come and I'll give you wealth. I'll give you wealth beyond measure. Remember the donkey had to turn around and talk to him? And then Balaam answered the donkey back. By the way, if a donkey talks to you and you're... You got problems, but here's the point. He was a prophet and Judas was a disciple that was used by God. And the Bible says of Judas, it'd be better for him if he had never been born. Guys, it's not enough to look at outward, just temporary outward works. We want to look at a lifetime of fruit and a life surrendered fully to the Lord. I never knew you. Let's finish up. So two ways of life, two trees, two things Jesus will say, two things, uh, two houses, So the wise man builds his house upon the rock and the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Look at verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. So if your house is built on Jesus Christ, guess what? When the storms come, you'll be ready. And by the way, the storms are coming, amen? Then he says this. And the rain descended, here's the storm, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The sand is a picture of the world. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, both of these houses could have been built by the same builder even with the same plans, with the same materials, with the same supplies, with the same crew over the same amount of time. And when you walk by them, they both looked exactly the same. But you know, when you really find out the strength of that house, when the storm comes, Because when the storm comes, we find out what that house was built upon. It has been said, a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's easy to say we have faith in God, but the truth is found out when the storms come. If your foundation is the world, you're going to fall apart when the storm hits. And notice the storm comes from above, the rain, from the side, the flood, 
right? From, and the wind. It's coming from every side. It comes from the world. It comes from your finances. It comes from your health. It can happen in your marriage. It can happen with your kids. It can happen with your job. It comes from every side. But when it comes from every side and your foundation is Jesus Christ, you will not waver. You know, will we have moments that we're fearful? Yes, because we're, we're human beings, amen? But the difference is we'll know. You know what, though, God? You're still God, and you're still in control. And before this wind was able to be poured out on me, it had to go through your hand. Before this trial came, you knew it was coming. You know what, guys? He doesn't always remove the storm, but he promises always to bring you through the storm. Amen? Sometimes he calms the storm. Other times he calms his child. Amen? Sometimes he makes the waves go down, and other times he just holds you and says, okay, the waves are coming, but son, I'm with you. Amen? I love that. And the people that I want to hang out with the most are the people that have been through the greatest storms and their faith is still there. John Course is one of my favorite Bible teachers. Many things I love about him. His wife died in a car accident and then years later, his daughter died in a car accident on the same road. And that man's faith was like this. He will tell you, he wept, he grieved, his heart broke, but his faith never left him. Because guys, our God is a faithful God and you don't go through that trial by yourself, Amen. I can't imagine living the last three years of my life without Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, I'm glad I went through it and to God be all the glory and he's going to use it for his glory. So whatever trials you've been through, trust God. Amen. And here's the exhortation that he gives. You know, it's funny. I bought a house up in Lancaster years ago. I know now, you know, I'm certifiably crazy, but I did buy a house and we bought it and they built them and they got completely done and we were supposed to move in and then they wouldn't let us move in. And then they started bulldozing all the houses because they found out all these houses had been built on a subpar foundation and they knocked them all down and they looked really good from the outside. But here's the reality. I'm so glad they didn't let me move in with my family. Amen. Because the next earthquake, there was some big earthquakes while I was living there. That house probably would have fallen over on us. Guys, we need the real foundation. We need to stand upon Jesus Christ because the storms are coming. Proverbs 10, 26 says, When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Guys, what is your source of hope? Is it your bank account? Is it your job? Is it your strength, your health, your looks, whatever? Everything that we have is fading and perishing except for one thing, our relationship with the Lord. And he will never leave us nor for sake us. So how do we build our house upon the rock? How do we do that? By responding in faithful obedience to his word. By trusting him first as our savior. By making him more than savior, he must be Lord. Amen? Not just to get out a hell free card, put it in your wallet. Okay, go ahead, get out a hell free card. Pastor Rob signed it. It's back here. Oh, the baptismal certificate, put that right next to it. I'm going to carry that with me when I get to judgment day. There it is, God, right? No. Guys, that's not enough, right? It's not calling him Savior. It's making him Lord. Here's the reality. We're going to spend eternity with whoever we serve. Amen? If we're serving him, we're going to spend eternity with him. If we're serving the world, we're going to spend eternity with the world. If we reject and ignore his word and build our house on the sand, the world and its philosophies and its false gods, or on the sin of doing nothing, the great fall is coming and it's just a matter of time. If not here, in eternity. So what have you done with what Jesus Christ teaches? Both men built their houses. 
Both men took time. Both men made an effort. But only one of them survived because he built it on Jesus Christ. Finally, last point. There's one authority. Look at verse 28 and 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings. He's just spoken 98 verses. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Can I tell you, I've never been astonished by anything that I've heard that Buddha said. Ever. Not one time. Anything a great yoga, yogi or whatever they call him said. None of them. I hear their stuff. I'm not that, wow, who cares? Whatever. Contemplate your navel. Hey, right? Empty yourself of everything. What the heck does that mean? Stupid. But when Jesus Christ opens his mouth and speaks, it blows me away because he's God. Amen? And when he speaks, he doesn't say, you might want to maybe think about possibly at some point considering in future doing this. And if not, I'll be tolerant of whatever your choice is. Is that what Jesus says? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. That's authoritative, amen? But you know why he can say it? He spoke the worlds into existence. He created everything. He created you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He who knows you best loves you most. He's God, amen? And so he is the one who will make the judgment. He is the one who speaks with authority. In verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. Not as one of the scribes. Not as one of the religious guys who got up and, you know, you know one of the reasons I think a lot of churches today are so filled with rituals? Because they have no idea what to say about the Bible. They just do a bunch of rituals, and I've, I've, I've had conversations with these guys. I've met them in Christian bookstores wearing black robes and big crucifixes around their neck, and I ask them, so, bro, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you right now, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Oh, I'm not sure. Are you going to heaven? Oh, I sure hope so. You know what? Christianity's not a hope so, it's a no so, Amen. We know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven, not because of who I am, but because of who he is and what he did for us. Amen? Guys, there's peace in that. There's joy in that. There's hope in that. And it ought to bring us to a place of having absolute peace, even in the midst of the greatest storm. This is written, I'll close with this, on a German cathedral. And it speaks of our Lord to us. It says this, Thus speaks our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light, and you see me not. You call me the way, and walk with me not. You call me to live, and live with me not. You call me wise, and follow me not. You call me fair, and love me not. You call me rich, and ask me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Amen? So guys, choose today whom you're going to serve. And maybe you are a Christian, you're on the narrow path, but you've been doing the splits and trying to put a foot on the broad road a little more than you should. Tonight, repent and ask God to help you. Amen? Maybe tonight your, your life hasn't been bearing much fruit. You've been worried and angry and bitter. And the joy of the Lord has not been evident in your life. Come before God and say, Lord, just renew my faith. Make that, give me that joy all over again. Help me understand where my life should be. Live every day thinking about the time when you will stand before God on judgment day wanting to hear those seven words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
May we build our houses upon the rock of Jesus Christ and on nothing else. Our hope alone is in him. And then finally, may we recognize there's only one authority. There's only one truth. There's only one way. And you know what? We should not be ashamed of him. He hung on a cross for us. He was put to shame for us. Let's stand up for him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I just pray for myself first and foremost. Lord, I just want to be a man after your own heart. Lord, I want to walk in the center of your will. And Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that is on the broad path, anybody that's away from you, Lord, open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Lord, anybody who's lost their joy, lost their peace, Lord, may they come to a place of repentance and brokenness before you and cry out to you that may you may restore it again. Lord, may we live every day in light of eternity. Lord, may we build our homes upon the rock. I pray especially for the men, the fathers in the room tonight. Help us, Lord, to be the spiritual leaders in our home and to build our house upon the rock. To say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Father, we're thankful that you are the authority, that you are the hope. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.